Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 28 as we continue our study through this section of Scripture. You can also find a copy of today's passage on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of this morning's message. As I just mentioned, we are walking through this narrative, beginning with the life of Abraham and now uh, the life of his descendants. We find ourselves this morning in Genesis chapter 28, uh, where Jacob is sent off. And if you were with us last week, you'll remember, if you're visiting with us, Genesis chapter 27 deals with Isaac's blessing of his sons. And of course, that chapter is one full of deception and argumentation and jockeying for status. It, it really is a messy chapter, Genesis chapter 27, uh, where everyone wants what's best for them. They don't think what's most glorifying to God, and they don't think that which is right, but what can I get? And so you have Isaac um, wanting to uh, bless Esau, despite the Lord saying it will be Jacob. You've got Esau wanting that blessing, despite his uh, lack of right to it. You've got Jacob deceiving his father. You've got Rebekah, the mother and the wife, um, going out of her way to lie and to dress her son up uh, to receive this blessing. And all that's going on, and you would almost think against God's will, as everyone seeks their own, and yet still, in light of all of that, God's will is done. The one who was to be blessed was blessed. Jacob was blessed. Uh, Esau comes demanding that he has rights, and um, he does get blessed, although it's kind of an anti-blessing. And then that section ends with Esau getting so mad that he would miss out on this opportunity, that he would not gain what he wanted, he is now publicly saying, as soon as my father dies, I will kill my brother and take what belongs to me. And so we ended last time with this um, uh, kind of reminder from Rebecca and, and from uh, Isaac, the husband, that Jacob must flee. He must flee for his life in order to protect it. And that's where we pick up this morning, seeing him do just that. So would you please follow along with me as I read for us the Word of God, Genesis chapter 28. I'd like to begin in the first verse and read through verse 9. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning, sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, Aramean the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there. And that he, as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives that he had, Mahalath the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, 
the sister of Nebaioth. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Will you please bow with me as we go before him in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come pleading with you to pour out your Spirit upon us. Lord, we have heard your word, but unless you send forth your Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear, it will fall on hard soil. And so I pray for everyone here, I pray for myself, that you would send forth your Spirit. Open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might receive your word, that we might hear your word, and we might believe your word this day. Father, may this blessing of Jacob refresh our souls and renew our hope and trust in you. And may the actions of Esau warn us against going toward our own earthly means and goals. Father, I pray these things by the power of the Holy Spirit through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, it's sometimes the case for many, and I've, I've spent many years in youth ministry and I saw it time and time again, that children will grow up in the church and that they will be taught the truths of the church but then they'll reach a point in their lives where they start asking, is this real? Is this true? Should I believe this? Or to put it differently, is this just my parents' belief or will it also be my belief? I was recently talking with a fellow Christian who put it like this. I needed to find out if everything my parents warned me against was really that bad. And he wasn't saying that in some way of in encouragement. He was saying, oh, Aaron, if I could take back those years, I would. But what he discovered after his years of wandering and what many discover after that period is there is much truth and comfort and peace and listening to, obeying, and submitting to the Word of God. And in fact, there is much affliction and strife and discord when we seek our own way. And what we see in our passage this morning is this very idea played out. Here we have Jacob being commanded to follow the will of the Lord, and we will see that he does indeed do that. And after everything that's happened in his life, we're going to see that there will be some peace involved, although he's going to make some payment for some previous actions. But then we're also going to see Esau, and Esau wanting to go his own way and and have his own path and do things his way, but try to get close to what he was commanded to do. And so I want us to think about the blessing of the Lord. And really, that's almost a misleading title because you could almost say it's the blessing of following the Lord is what we're going to see. But we see it here in this blessing of Jacob. So I want us to consider that this morning. And I want us to see a few things from our text. I want us to see how Making the decision of choosing a godly wife is a blessing from the Lord. I want us to see how having children are a blessing from the Lord. And all this comes from that Abrahamic blessing. And then the, the anti-point, as we've, has happened many times over the last several weeks with Esau, Esau is going to show us how the world seeks to imitate the blessing of the Lord. And so we've got in this the Abrahamic blessing given to Jacob, and it shows us the blessing of family, And then in Esau, we'll see the warning or danger of imitating that for our own desires. And so let's begin with what uh, it means to have a godly wife. In our passage, Isaac calls his son Jacob that he might bless him. And if, like I said, if you've been with us in this series, you might find yourself going, hold up, 
Pastor. You just said, and we just took a few weeks to get through chapter 27. This has already happened. Now, it was deceptively done. It was maybe not done in the the best way, but hasn't Jacob already been blessed by Isaac? And wasn't that blessing binding? And the answer to that is, yes, it was. So much so that that caused the discontent with Esau at the end of the chapter. So then, why bless him again? Why do we need a second blessing here? And I want to point to to two reasons why Isaac would bless Jacob a second time here. Um, The first comes from Calvin. John Calvin says, For the sake of Jacob's confidence in his father's blessing, it was important to repeat the promise here. He got the first blessing deceptively, but here he receives it openly and outright. This would be important, for in the days to come when there are trials and doubts and worries, Jacob would not be able to say he did not deserve this blessing. You see, he deceptively got the blessing the first time. He kind of snuck in. He dressed up as his brother. He lied to his father. His, his mother cooked a meal that he wasn't capable of cooking to get the blessing, right? Imagine that's your backbone for the blessing of your family. And then imagine 10, 15 years later, you have difficulty. Maybe you're like your father and your grandfather, and you have a hard time having children, and part of the blessing is children. What do you think in that moment? Do you think God is going to be faithful to me? Or does it start to creep in? Oh, did I really deserve this? Was this God's plan? Am I the the chosen descendant? Am I the one that the line of Abraham is supposed to continue through? Is it really me? You see how easy it would have been had it been left to the way we left it in chapter 27 for Jacob to go, I don't deserve this. Maybe it was supposed to be Esau. But to make sure that that's not the case for his life, here, Isaac outright, man to man, face to face, knowing which son it is, blesses him. So that he knows for certain, no, you are the child that God said would continue the blessing of the line of Abraham. And there's another reason. The second reason we see Isaac blessing Jacob here is to remind him of what the blessing would be. If you remember the the days of Abraham, the Lord spoke the promise to him several times across those many chapters. And the Lord does this, doesn't he? He often reminds us of what he has spoken in order to keep it fresh in our minds, give us confidence in his promises, and assure us he will do what he says. Why? Because we are a forgetful people. We are a people that are quick to forget the promises of God. And so if for nothing else, one of the main reasons that Jacob is blessed here is so that he is reminded again, this is what the Lord has promised. This is what the Lord will do. And it's because of this we we now turn directly to the blessing. And it's kind of in two parts. Uh, The first part of the blessing is a warning. And then the second part is, is the Abrahamic blessing. Verses 1 and 2 are the warning. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now this should sound very familiar, shouldn't it? Because almost exactly the same thing happened with Abraham. Abraham is getting old. He is worried about his son Isaac. He wants Isaac to have a wife that will be an asset to him and not a liability. And so he sends a servant. He 
He says, servant, you will go to this region, to my family, to, to my lineage. You will go find for my son a wife here. She will come of my household. And then there was this whole detailed list of things that would happen, and they did in with fulfillment of God's word. But the warning is the same for Abraham and, and now for Jacob. Do not marry women of the villages around you. Do not marry women um, of the Canaanites. And if you continue on in, in the Old Testament, you know that the Canaanites are a trouble spot, a pain source for the people of Israel all throughout Old Testament history. Uh, they are continually um, worshiping their own gods, pursuing false practices, and leading men of Israel astray, drawing them away from God's truth and God's love and God's commands. And we know even in this household, in this family, that has been true. We were told very explicitly that Esau didn't listen. He took two wives of Canaan, and they have been a source of grief for his parents. And so here, Jacob is warned, seek a wife from my family, seek a wife not of those of the city, of the village, of the surrounding areas. And what's in that is the importance of having a godly spouse, of having someone on the same page with you, in agreement with you theologically and spiritually. You know, God says to Adam, God made a helper fit, or it was not good that Adam remain alone. Therefore, God made a helper fit for him. Adam was alone and he needed a helper, one to complement him in his work and in his worship. And over and over again, we see the benefit, the strength in the Bible when a godly man meets a godly woman and they get married and they raise their household in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And equally so, we see in Scripture, what happens when that doesn't happen? How many times in the life of Israel are the patriarchs, are the kings, are the rulers led astray by poor choices in this area. David, Solomon. We can basically go through all of David's family tree here again and again and again. The kings are led astray because they took wives not of those that worship the Lord, but of the cities, and their hearts are ripped. And I hope we know this positively in our own lives, those of us that God has blessed with marriage. I, I hope that you know what a blessing it is to have the spouse that you have. And, and hopefully you are in unity and in peace and, and that that reigns and rules in your household. Child raising is hard. Child raising is very, very difficult. I can't imagine doing that where the two of you, the spouses, are trying to pull or push in different directions. You can't get anywhere if you're both going in divergent paths. You, you won't ever go forward. Um, you will eventually get to a, a point where you're pulling against one another. And so as Isaac is dying and he's giving these last commands and he's giving this blessing to Jacob, his last piece of advice, one of his last pieces of advice, make sure you are careful who you marry. Make sure the wife that you choose worships the Lord. For if you don't, there will be division and strife and chaos. And, all, and it's not stated here, but all they have to do is just point to his brother and go, here's a good case study. Now, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend you pointing to your siblings as a good case study of how things shouldn't be. 
Um, I hope that's not the case with your brothers or sisters. But it certainly was the case for this family that that was very evident. And so we see that in this blessing, in, in the Abrahamic blessing, it's choose a godly spouse, and what a blessing that would be. But one of the, the consequences of that, if the Lord sees fit, is that there will be children. And this, again, is why it's so important to have a spouse who's on the same page, because it's one thing to be united together. It's another thing to then raise people after your own views. And how are you going to do it? Are they going to follow your views or their views? But if you're united, children then can be a blessing from the Lord. And that's what we see here in our second point. And this is where we get into what is the true Abrahamic blessing. This is almost word for word what God has promised Abraham, what God has promised Isaac, and now he promises Jacob. So let's take some time and let's go through this. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of people. This promise, which is the promise God gave to Abraham, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. These people will worship me. I will be their God. This promise a blessing prayed over Jacob is a promise that, one, he will find a wife. Two, he and his wife will have children. That they will have descendants. That they will become a company, a legacy of people. And the prayer in that is that this group of people will worship the Lord. And so it's not just a, a promise to, to find a wife. It's not just a promise to have children. But it's a promise to have a family that worships the Lord. And, and can you, and I know those of you that are parents um, here can, can relate to this, can you think of a better promise? Like if, if the Lord could pray over you and over your life today and say that your descendants will worship me, wouldn't that be the greatest thing you could hear from him other than that you belong to him yourself? Isn't that what we pray for as parents? Isn't that our longing, our desire, our heart's dream is that our children, our children's children will know and walk with God? What a blessing here. And this is from the Lord to Abraham. This is from the Lord to Isaac. And now it's to Jacob as well. And, and what a tradition there. The Lord is saying, that which I did for your father... And that which I did for your grandfather, I will now do for you. I, and then when Jacob doubted, when he worried, when he had fear, when he had anxiety, all he had to look to is his own life. His life is a testimony that God has already done this. He is alive because God answered this for Isaac. Isaac is alive because God answered this for Abraham. And so his very life is a marker, and Ebenezer, as we like to sing in that one song, a, a memorial stone that God does what he says he's going to do. We actually have something really beautiful here, and I, I don't want to jump over it. In this blessing, this is almost word for word the Abrahamic blessing, uh, that God may bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. But, but um, Isaac adds here some interesting words, that you may become a company of people. That word company there comes from the Hebrew word to assemble. And, and scholars debate this because they debate everything, but 
this may very well be, biblically, the first mention of the church. This may be a part the family. You can make a case that the family unit is the church um, all the way back to, to Adam and Eve and their children. But here, a company of people, that this would be the, what the church would come to be. And why don't we make that argument? Well, what is the Abrahamic blessing and promise? That you will have descendants, that you will be a mighty people. And what will that mighty people do? Worship the Lord. So we're actually in a Sunday school class uh, this quarter on marks of a healthy church. We started our first one this morning. And in that, um, we were told uh, by Mark, Pastor Mark Dever that there will be holiness that marks the church. You will be like God. And so to be a company of people in this way, you will be like God and worship God and want the things of God. There will be unity. You will be together. You will be unified in that. And you will act in love. And so I love this, this, this idea that this a company of people, this promise for Jacob is that they will be what the church will come to be known as. What a wonderful blessing. What, what a wonderful blessing here that that is the case. And so on the one hand, this blessing includes people, and then on the other hand, this blessing includes possession. As we continue in our passage, may he, he being God Almighty, give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning that God gave to Abraham. There was a promised land. There was a land of fulfillment. Abraham died having only the burial plot of his wife. He owned a little bitty patch of the promised land. He and his wife were buried in it. But the promise was is that your children, your descendants will possess this land. It will be a, a, a testimony to me who I am as your God. And Isaac doesn't really have much of it himself. And now Jacob is being sent away from it. Did you catch that? He's got to flee. He's got to flee here. He can't marry of, of Canaan. He's got to leave this area. And he's leaving the land that will be the promised land. He's leaving the place of possession. And so you might find yourself wondering, how can he then fulfill that which is being promised to him, despite the fact that he's being cast away from it, if you will. And to that I point to, to Matthew Henry. He says this, Isaac was now sending Jacob away into a distant country to settle there for some time. And lest this should look like disinheriting him, here he confirms the settlement of the land upon him, that he might be assured that the discontinuance of his possession should be no defeasance of his right. Let me put that simply. He's leaving for now, but that's not to say that this is not his. Because that's not his, because anyone says it is, it's his because the Lord says it's his. The Lord declares this as part of his blessing for him and his descendants. And so we shouldn't look at this temporary leaving as, as a negative statement or making a promise that cannot be fulfilled. And so the Lord promises to Jacob through this blessing that he will be a mighty people, that he will be a blessing, and that they will possess the land promised to them. And, and in some ways, this is the blessing of Abraham. This is the Abrahamic blessing, a people and a possession. And then capped off on top of all of that, that God will be their God. 
But it doesn't end here. That's the blessing, but this section doesn't end here. It actually goes one more verse. We've got to look at verse 5. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Why is this important? The blessing is, is, is significant, and it really is the pinnacle of this passage, that, that Abrahamic blessing being professed openly and publicly for Jacob. But why is verse 5 important? Especially in light of verse, or chapter 27. Because now... Jacob obeys. Please don't lose the significance of this. Jacob obeys. God says, I will be your God. God says, I will bless you. God says, I will give to you a possession. And what does he do? But listen. That is so significant. That is so important. And if we we jump ahead and we look forward, what does God do but bless him? God gives him a new name. and In fact, um, Jacob will come to have the name of the people of God. And he will be blessed with many children and many generations of children. But Jacob obeys in faith. He obeys trusting in God and in God's promises. He listens. This marks a turning point in Jacob's narrative. That's not to say he won't have struggles, he won't have difficulties. He's got 20 years of hard work ahead of him. Let's see in the coming chapters. But we see here a man act in obedience and act in faith, knowing that the Lord will do what he says he will do. So let's ask ourselves a few questions here. How should we respond to this blessing? How does this relate to us today? How can we apply the truths of what we've just heard to our own lives? And and I would tell you chiefly, be faithful to the Lord. Those of you that were with us over the last several chapters, isn't this a much easier section to go through? Isn't chapter 28 a a breath of, oh, because chapter 27, you're you're going through Atlanta at rush hour. You are sitting up in your seat and your hands are on the wheels and your mirrors are checked and you're like, something's going wrong. Somebody's about to mess this up and we're in trouble. You get to chapter 28 and it's like sitting on a bus or a plane and you're like, oh, here we go. This is right. Why? Why? What's the difference? Because chapter 28 demonstrates what happens when you obey God, when you trust Him and you're resting in His work and His promise. Chapter 27 is this just this mind-numbing experience of here's me trying to shove my way, my will, my power through for myself. Also, and I hope you don't get tired of me saying this because I've said it about every chapter since chapter 12. Please don't miss the fact that you here who believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are testimony to the fulfillment of this promise. You as a Christian who are part of God's church, are fulfillment of this promise. What is the promise? We'll go back. Let's read it again. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojourning that God gave to Abraham. And just above that, God bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. You may be a company of people. What are we but the church? A gathering of a particular people, for a particular purpose. And what is our purpose? To glorify God and enjoy Him. That's why we're here. 
And we are here today in fulfillment of this, where God is still saying, I haven't forgotten yet, and I won't. And so may we look at a passage like this, and may we take hope, may we take heart, may we look at it and want to love God, to live for Him, and to live for one another, and may we also remember how He keeps His promises. We'll see that as we continue on through um, the Old Testament, but we see it today. Again, you are fulfillment of this. God is consistent and trustworthy from beginning to end. And we're all called to either obey this, accept this, and receive it, or go our own ways, trust in our own strength, and hope it works out for us. And unfortunately, we have an example of that very aspect of it played out in this final section with Esau. We see here in his actions how the world will seek to imitate God. The world does not seek to obey God, but the world seeks to imitate God and his blessing. We see it in these final verses. And Esau somehow finds out what Jacob has done. It's not that Jacob was blessing, or Isaac has done. Isaac's not blessing Jacob in secret. Normally it's been Rebekah that kind of is, is leaning into the closed door and hearing what's going on. But now Esau gets wind. His father has blessed Jacob. And this must have been devastating for Esau because you, you know all through this, he's got to have convinced himself, he's got to have in his head somewhere, he is convinced that his father got it wrong. Oh, if dad only understood. Oh, if he really knew what he was doing. Oh, he's been deceived. Oh, he's been tricked. That's why he wants to kill his brother. He wants to kill his brother. He wants his father to die so he can take possession of all this, so he can run it properly. And so he's, he's, he's planning. And in his mind, he's convinced himself, I'm doing the right thing here. But to hear Isaac openly bless Jacob kind of puts a wrench in that, doesn't it? It's kind of hard to conceive yourself that everybody's wrong and you're right when all of the deception goes away and then there's a plain open declaration, I will bless you. Oh no, how can I, how can I run that through my filters to get that to be about me? It's going to be really hard for Esau, isn't it? But <laughs> he, he, he pulls it off. Because he listens to the blessing, and he says, you know, I've been thinking about this. And it could be that I don't worship God. Maybe that's the problem. No, that's not it. That can't be it. It has nothing to do with my lack of forgiveness, repentance, or obedience to the Word of God. The problem is I married the wrong wife. That's where all of this went wrong. Not my lack of obedience to God, not my hatred toward my brother, not my wishing of my father's death, not my anger and selling away my birthright. None of that's the problem. I just married the wrong person. That's it. So let me fix that. God says, or Abraham said, or Isaac said, <laughs> so many people, um, Isaac says, don't marry a woman of Canaan. And so he says, ah. I'll fix the problem. I'll go marry someone that's not of Canaan. When Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, beside the wives that he already had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Esau hears the wisdom of his father, filters it through his own mind, and says... 
I can fix this by doing things my way. And what is his hope? What, what does he want out of this? What he wants to have happen is his father to see him marry a woman that's not Canaanite and go, oh, there we go, you figured it out. Congratulations. Let me undo this whole thing. Let me give it to you, and then you can be in charge from here forward. He's got this worked out in his head that that will be the conclusion. But I, I love what one commentator says. Esau tried to better his marital rep uh, reputation by marrying a third wife. Esau has no understanding of the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant and its purity. He's still living on a human level. Esau seeks his own path, his own plan to model, to mimic the will of the Lord. But see how he misses? He's now got multiple wives, which is in violation of Scripture. He's pleasing, trying to please his father, earthly father, not the heavenly father. He, he's still trying to manipulate a situation for his own goals. And we'll, we'll see as we continue on in, in Scripture how well that works out for him. But let me just ask you this this morning as we kind of reflect on this again. Aren't we all prone to this behavior? Aren't, aren't we all prone to selfishly, sinfully finding ourselves in a situation and asking, how can I make this work out for me? How can I come ahead in this? This is the natural state of our hearts. And without the Lord, that's all we can hope to achieve. Without God, that is the best it can get. How can I make sure I am pleased, happy, satisfied, how can I get ahead? Esau couldn't fix his marriage or his heart by adding another wife. The only way Esau could have fixed his heart was to repent. And the same goes for us today. The only way we can live a life that pleases God is to repent of our sin and obey Him. We are called to go where He says go and do what He says do because of what He has done for us we love because He first loved us. It's not that we seek His favor by doing things we think He would like. It's not that we wake up in the morning and we ask ourselves, now what could I do today that God would look at and go, I'm glad you did that. Here's some blessing. God, God is not a, a divine slot machine where we can, we can stock up favors and then when we really need one, God, I really need this job. I really need this application to go through. I really need to get this house. I really need this child to listen and think about all the things I've done for you lately, God. And we put them in and we pull the lever and out comes favor. That's not how it works. We obey God. We follow His commands because He's our God. And He loves us. And He's called us to obedience. And when we do, there is blessing. And when we don't, there are consequences for our actions. Now, let me just conclude by saying this, though. We need to be very careful with that. I'm not saying that, that you will have an abundance of, of favor and blessing and, and gain in this world by following God from a worldly perspective. Because look at the biblical account I'm pretty sure most all of the apostles died gruesomely for their following of their Savior. But think of their standing in heaven. Think of what they have because they followed the Lord. They are in His presence continually. Is that blessing? Absolutely. Is that worth it? Absolutely. Did that work out for them on this side of heaven? Mm, we can make the case either way, right? You're beheaded. 
but you're beheaded for following Jesus. You can, that's, that's kind of up to you to decide, is that a, to a gain or not? Trick question, the answer is yes, it is the gain. But only by trusting and following the Lord will we receive his blessing, and that's the ability and the desire to love him, to worship him, and to live as a company of people that he calls the church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is so easy in our own hearts to, to convince ourselves that we've got to do things to please you, to, to receive your favor, to receive your mercy and your blessing. But Lord, what you teach in your scriptures is that you bless us because you are good and you are God and you take joy in doing so. We obey because you have loved us. We submit because you sent your son to die for us on the cross. Jacob didn't deserve this, God, but you gave it to him out of the goodness and abundance of your mercy. Lord, I pray for each and every one here that we would receive, accept, and live for you, God, not for what we would get out of it, but because of you. And when we get that right, Lord, everything else tends to fall into place. Lord, we thank you for your word and the chance to study it this morning. May you bless the reading and preaching of it for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.